0: Well, that's a good morning. Glad that you could be with us on this wonderfully cold morning today. We're getting back to Christmas, and uh, it's time to start praying for snow. What do you think? Yeah, all right. So with that in mind, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak into this place this morning. In the calming of our minds, in the longing of our hearts, and by the words of our lips and in the thoughts that we form. Speak, speak to us as we listen. Amen. Well, before I move forward this morning, let me bring up to you financially where we're at as a community. In April, I presented the the fact that we were seriously behind in our giving and uh, today, simply put, our giving is up, to which I say thank you. Um, our offerings are about are up 10%, which is about 64,000 year to date for the month uh, for up to November 2017, uh, as we do a year to date compared to last year. Uh, we have managed our expenses well; they've been down over 3% over $28,000 due to different cost cuttings that we have done. We've noticed that our rental income has gone up by 9% here and. Uh, Uh, Again, we need the rentals. A lot of times people think the rental of the facility is gravy for us. Actually, no, we need the rentals to supplement our regular uh, income here. But it's gone up. And in general, what we have done here as a community is we've tightened our belts to meet the cash crunch. And you, the people, have stepped up uh, your donations in response to which we say thank you. Right? Right? Now again, we still face a a year-to-date cash loss of $77,000. Some people go, holy cow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. We actually hope to make that up in the month of December, so there's still this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, Our cash shortfall is always driven by our mortgage and principal repayments, which exceeds $10,000 a month. It exceeds uh, $120,000 a year so. Very simply put, please don't stop, don't let up on your giving, and uh, next Sunday is your last day to do so, and uh, so come prepared if you can, or you can contact the office, you can give online, you can text to give, it's it's all at the Welcome Center, however you can do that to uh, p- top up at the end of the year. So thank you. So, as we continue to look at Advent, we're using a compilation of letters and sermons and thoughts of... Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that was assembled into a devotional called "God Is in the Manger," and today is Christmas Eve, and I want us to look at the in uh, the theme of the incarnation and peace. When he was speaking to a German church in Havana, Cuba, on December 21, 1930, uh, Bonhoeffer said this. He says, "We all come with different personal feelings to the Christmas festival." One comes with pure joy as he looks forward to this day of rejoicing, of friendships renewed, and of love. Others for a moment of peace under the Christmas tree, peace from the pressures of daily work. Again, others approach Christmas with great apprehension. It will be no festival of joy for them. Personal sorrow is painful, especially on this day for those whose loneliness is deepened at Christmas time. And despite all, Christmas comes. Whether we wish it or not, whether we are sure or not, we must hear the words once again, Christ the Savior is here. The world that Christ comes is to save is fallen and a lost world, none other. I like what he says. He goes, others look for a moment of peace. And what we find quickly is that we as a people don't have a great definition of the word "peace" when you think about it. We tend to think it means "not war." And in some sense, that's right. and I, I don't know, but have you heard of the story of the Christmas peace Treaty of 1914? During World War I, they had just begun. And the Allies and the Germans were, were fighting, and there was a system of trenches now already established on both sides where, where they fought each other, and in between was no man's land. On Christmas Eve, the Germans' uh, soldiers began singing Silent Night. The Allies joined in singing Silent Night, but uh, now in English. Historians have gotten together, and they've actually put it together in a variety of different movies. Watch this clip. You know, it's a beautiful story, and it's uh, the elements of uh, the truth throughout the story is, is quite fascinating, but it's not the meaning of Christmas. Because, you know, the following day the war resumed. They're, they tried to kill each other and mostly succeeded in the whole place. That peace was very temporary. And so peace is not just a lack of war. There's actually so much more to it. And Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Bonhoeffer goes on and he comments that this is about the birth of a child, not of the astonishing work of a strong man, not of the bold discovery of a wise man, not of the pious work of a saint. It's really beyond all of our understanding. The birth of a child shall bring about great change, shall bring to all mankind salvation and deliverance. You know, last week we looked at, in in Luke 2, how God rocks the routine of some guys who are just out in the field doing their job. In the midst of the mundane, an angel suddenly appears and, and, and knocks them out of their sandals, so to speak. Into that darkness of a silent night comes this brightness of the glory of the Lord. And I'm sure the shepherds were rubbing their eyes and shaking in their sandals. And the fact that the word terrified was there means that they were alarmed and that they were agitated. The angel says to them, of course, don't be afraid. There's nothing for you to worry about. And once again, when we read scripture, we see angels are always telling humans to chill out. I was in Costco on Friday. <clears throat> it's interesting. I've heard that all the Costcos on Friday were a complete zoo. Zoo. And uh, one of my sons had a nerd party, and so we had to go get some snacks to keep their um, energy going all night long as they had a LAN activity going on in our basement. And so we thought Friday, nobody's gonna be there Friday morning. Let's go first thing. Well, it was crazy over here. To the point where I saw a guy get so unglued in the parking lot, he was getting out of his vehicle. I wish I had my camera on, that's what I could say. It would've been, I would've been a YouTube millionaire. But that's just the, the world we live in. We don't chill out. We don't. And uh, when you think when the angel appears to the shepherds, they, they, they get unglued. The, the, the angel then has to tell them to just chill out. And the, the reason they didn't need to be afraid is because of the message that the angel is bringing. And he says... I have good news of great joy that will be for all people that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. There will be a sign to you. You're going to go and find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in the manger. It's going to be the only one, basically, is what he's saying. And as the shepherds are sort of trying to handle this message from one messenger, they're taken aback again because it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God. That word suddenly means that the the, the heavenly host came unexpectedly, without warning. And so never mind them getting knocked out of their sandals by the appearance of one. When the heavenly host shows up, uh, this great company it's impossible to account this vast array of messengers the sky is filled basically is what's going on and they watched the heavens open up and they literally saw the entire chorus of messengers worshiping god they were transformed and then the angels go off and they say glory to god in the highest and peace And on earth, and peace to men on whom his favors rest. So the question we have to ask is, what is this Christmas peace to which the angels spoke of? The world in which which this message came was anything but a world of peace. It was the Roman Empire. If if you've done any study, you know that the Roman Empire was was basically constantly at war. They they subjugated the world by force. They were called the Iron Boot of Rome. And Judea, this little province, was simply a Roman province. It was a Roman outpost. And the people who lived under that province, or lived in that province, lived under the iron will of Rome. They had to do the bidding of Rome. They were under the taxation of Rome. It was certainly not a world of peace. But it's to this world The message of peace, the gift of peace came in the form of a little baby who is God incarnate, God in human flesh. The whole Christian story is strange. Frederick Buchner describes the incarnation as a kind of a vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes along us in diapers. He goes on and he says, Until we too have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. You know, but we have taken the idea uh, as seriously as a child can when you think about it. The innocence of, I got a present from Jesus. You know, it's funny that people scoff at the birth of Jesus. That God became a man for a reason. And yet when you look at our culture, our culture perpetuates this idea of a man who lives in the North Pole. And you can make some comparisons between God and Santa. This man who lives up in the North Pole has a list of all the naughty and nice. He is also all-knowing and omnipresent, but he also rewards virtue, right? And he gives with gifts and he punishes evil by giving coal. He answers the prayers of his followers, the children, does he not? They write letters to him. He performs miracles, when you think about it, by flying through the air at warp speed and visiting homes in a single night, not to mention he fits through the smallest of chimneys, unaffected. And yet, when you think about it, many of us have been raised with the Jesus story until we outgrew it. But we... Perpetuate the Santa myth to our children. Bonhoeffer wrote, he said, Prince of peace, where God comes in love to human beings and unites with them. There peace is made between God and humankind and among people. He then asks, he says, Are you afraid of God's wrath? Then go to the child in the manger and receive there the peace of God. Have you fallen into strife and hatred with your sister or brother? We'll come and see how God, out of pure love, has become our brother and wants to reconcile us with each other. In the world, power reigns. This child is the prince of peace because where he is, peace reigns. See, in the Hebrew culture, it's interesting that the word peace has a very wide significance. You've heard the word before, it's Shalom. And it's used when greeting somebody as well as when saying goodbye to somebody. It's kind of like saying, you know, hakuna matata, right? Which means, yeah, no worries, right, exactly. It's a statement of what we desire for the person that we're speaking to. Now, stop thinking about the Lion King and focus with me again, all right? The word peace was such a part of the early church that every single letter that the Apostle Paul writes includes a greeting of peace. It includes shalom. It means many things, but as I said before, that the, the word peace is used all around the world. People are obsessed with the concept, and when we think about it, and if you ever watch the beauty queen pageants, uh, and nearly every beauty queen who's ever been asked what their one wish would be would respond, well, I wish it would be world peace. You know, since 1901, there's been an award given that who has ever done the most to promote and keep peace in the world, we know it as the Nobel Peace Prize for what it's worth. And just to add, it's never been given to a beauty queen, just throwing it out there, but that's just the way it is. There's a logo that we use, right, for the concept of peace. There's a hand sign for peace. As well, in 2011, NBA player Ron Artest legally changed his name to Meta World Peace, go figure, as a way to promote world peace. <laughs> really? Now, the Hebrew word shalom is generally translated peace and it's a word we hear often enough we think we've got it down, we think we can handle it and we know that shalom is about wholeness, it's about healing, it's about redemption and uh, and together all these things, it's what makes up peace but when we use the word peace, we don't generally mean all those things, instead what we do is we settle for shallow peace which is really a facade behind what we suppress, our feelings and 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 so suppress the community we just, we just We live behind a wall. You know, the peace we generally think of is more of a a calm surface. Let's everybody get along. Even if underneath the waters are churning, let's just everybody get along. But shalom, the kind of peace that God has in mind for the world, is so much more deeper. It's the kind of peace that the psalmist prays for. It's the kind of peace that we're supposed to make. This peace demands that we are to be real with ourselves and real with each other. And that peace, when you think about it, requires a a true listening. It requires a compassionate speaking. Peace that will not settle for anything to be left out or left behind. And this is not only the absence of conflict, but also the presence of healing and growth. What I want us to see today is much more important than the world's idea of peace. What we see in our text is a promise of peace, something with more significance than anything else in the history of the world. Bonhoeffer wrote, he said that with the birth of Jesus, the great kingdom of peace has begun. It's not a miracle that where Jesus has really become Lord over people, peace reigns. Is it not a miracle that where, where Jesus has really become a Lord over people, peace reigns? that there is one Christendom on the whole earth in which there is peace in the midst of the world. Only where Jesus is not allowed to reign, where human stubbornness, where defiance and hate and adverse are all allowed to live on unbroken, can there be no peace. Jesus does not want to set up his kingdom of peace by force, but where people willingly submit themselves to him and let him rule over them. He will give them His wonderful peace. And this is where it all comes down. This is the message. This is the incarnation. That Christmas peace begins with the peace of God. And that peace is the result of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Jesus himself says to his disciples, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. But he leaves his peace. And this peace with God results in peace within ourselves. And if the burgeoning industry of things therapeutic is any indication that there are a lot of people who are not at peace with themselves these days, just go to the bookstore. Look at the psychology and self-help sections in the bookstores. Have you seen them? If you look at those books, you'll see that most of them are written to give peace to people who are in some kind of turmoil and turmoil over the past failures, over unfulfilled expectations, over declining relationships, over financial problems, over everything from career boredom to sexuality and flabby thighs. It's all there. Back to our story. You know, after witnessing this incredible display of unbridled adoration and praise, the shepherds knew that they had to move. And, and they had gone, uh, uh, and they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. They discussed what they should do. They were unanimous in their decisions. They headed to Bethlehem, and I love what verse 16 says. It shows that their fear, which they had at one point, was now replaced with faith, and that their faith went to their feet, and they moved on. And they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph. And they found the baby who was lying in the manger. There was no delay. That word hurried carries with it the idea of speed. It was no small matter to them to leave their sheep behind for a while. They could have lost their jobs by abandoning those sheep and leaving them unattended. But they knew they had to go see it. They just had a wonderful encounter and they went to go verify it. And they became messengers of the message. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These guys, their heart was filled with gratitude. These men, they broke out in praise. Verse 20 says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they heard, that they seen, which were just as they'd been told. Their lives are radically changed at that point. And I think what matters most is that we get God's message and that we respond to it. Notice that the peace comes only after the praising. There's an interesting aspect there. We must put God and his glory first, and then listen, peace will come. And this is a neat time of year. But there's nothing magical about this season if one doesn't know the Christ of Christmas. You know, the phrase happy holidays is meaningless, really, without the acknowledgement of the holiness of God. This is what it's all about. You know, maybe you, like me, need to be reminded that Jesus came to bring us peace. The Bible says that when we allow his spirit to fill us, you know, one of the results of that spiritual experience is peace. The fruit of the spirit is peace. And maybe you're not at peace at all and you seem to be able to think about your problems and, and that, that keeps you from this constant state or, uh, of unrest or it keeps you in a constant state of unrest or anxiety. Maybe you're feeling fearful. Maybe you're stressed. Maybe you're you're overloaded. You you, you know. You, maybe you've heard this: "No peace, no peace." Right? N o peace to k n o peace. And it's so true. Without knowing that perfect peace and calm assurance of God in a crazy, mixed-up world, we will forever be struggling to gain control of life, and always be finding ourselves in the heat of the battle against stress and anxiety. I hate crowds, I really do. It drives me crazy if I go to Costco and stuff like that. But I've just learned, I've actually had to just turn my mind and just go, okay, whatever. It's Christmas, I'm going to let people through, I'm going to let people be crazy on the roads. If you want my parking spot, go ahead, bless you, Merry Christmas. It becomes active, an active aspect of making peace. To know his peace. To know him. To actively pursue peace. Because it doesn't come our way naturally. He says to seek after it. God is the answer to your place of calm. You have to look at it this way. We can never fully escape the turmoil uh, in this world that it may come our way. But we obviously don't live in a perfect place here. But in the midst of all that life deals us, we can remain steady and stable through our heart of devotion to him. And so no matter what we go through, we don't have to be shaken. Why? Because we are safe with him. At peace, we are at rest. And I love this quote. It says, peace. It does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. It means to be in the midst of those things and still be calm. In your heart, And the only peace that this world offers doesn't last. It's passing, it's fleeting, it's simply an absence of conflict. Or it's a vain attempt to cover desperate places of life with superficial external fixes. It's like covering a deep wound with a, a band-aid or taking Tylenol to prevent the, the form of a sickness. It's not very realistic in our busy lives or our crazy world. But the peace that God offers us, that we're reminded of in Advent, is vastly different. It's lasting. It's confident. It's real. It's the assurance in the midst of all that we face, past, present, and future. It rises up against the fear that we would seek to choke out our lives. It battles the forces of stress and anxiety over us. His peace brings us comfort. His peace brings us freedom. It breathes security deep into our spirits. He sent his only son, this pure essence of peace himself, to give you and I lasting peace that only he can give. And so peace doesn't mean to be in a place where there's no noise, no trouble, no hard work. It means to be in the midst of those things that can still be calm in your heart. And so you need to soak in his truth this morning. And every once in a while, I think in our own lives, we need an eye adjustment about 45 degrees. You know, instead of staring horizontally at our problem and only glancing at God occasionally, we need to raise our plane of vision about 45 degrees and we need to gaze at God and only glance at our problems. The Bible says of our God, he says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And I thank God that, that this peace that he offers is beyond our puny efforts to understand it. The Bible says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. That Jesus who was born that night in Bethlehem. That's what the angels were talking about. The Christmas peace begins with the peace with God. And then as a result, we're flooded with the peace of God. And it's this peace of God that's the result of this peace of God. It's circular and it's beautiful. And when God speaks of peace in our context of our passage, it's something greater. It's something permanent. Let me explain this. Isaiah the prophet, when we look at uh, the passage earlier, we tend to think of a prophet as somebody who tells the future. And sometimes that's the case, but really a prophet is somebody who speaks the word of God on behalf of God. So Isaiah is is a prophet, and his ministry is to speak the word of God. But let me set the context of his ministry. You know, we read these, or we hear these passages of scriptures that are just sort of quoted, but here's the context. See, the Israelites were once slaves in Egypt. Then God sent the plagues that ended with the Passover feast. And the Israelites, they escape via the Red Sea. They wander around the desert for a while. And then they they eventually get to the promised land. God knocks down the doors, the walls of Jericho. They establish the big kingdom of Israel. There's 12 tribes all established there. And then what happens is that the Israelites, they get discontent with God. They want a king. They want to be like everybody else around them. So they want a king. And uh, God says, well, that's a terrible idea. And like prideful children, they say, well, we want a king anyway. So God gives them a king. He gives them King Saul. And then he gives them King David. And then he gives them Solomon. And then soon after, a civil war breaks out. And those tribes, be- you know, uh, Israel becomes the name of the, the north. And-, and it consists of ten tribes. And Judah is the name of the south. And it consists of two tribes. And suddenly, the Jews, they hate each other. And, and, uh, and each has their own king. The next thing happens is that the Assyrians and the Egyptians, yeah, those guys, they start attacking again. Isaiah then is this prophet, and he comes in, he starts talking to the southern kingdom. He starts talking to Judah. And he holds his position for about 50 years, and so he speaks the word of the Lord to, to five different kings in Judah. And in our text here, he's actually talking to the second of those five kings. He's talking to King Ahaz, and he was 20 when he became king, and he ruled for 16 years. And this Ahaz guy, when well, he was a bad king, he basically says, I don't need God. I can do this ruling thing on my own. Isaiah has been telling him, Now is the time to repent. And the people, in fact, do repent, but their king Ahaz will not. He refuses, so Isaiah starts telling them about a, a future time when things are going to get better. In chapter 7, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in, in our text, in chapter 9, we start to learn about this child who's about to be born, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now we got to remember the context of the statement. Much of this comes true at the birth of Hezekiah. That's the king after bad king Ahaz. So Hezekiah now grows up and becomes the king of Judah. And Israel and the northern tribes, they they attack them. And uh, Assyria takes on Israel afterwards. And eventually there's peace in in the land for a time. And we have to understand that when this prophecy was written, um, people really didn't Understand it as clearly as we do today. They would see and speculate that this prophecy was for King Hezekiah, but they understood that many of the statements that Isaiah was making was beyond Hezekiah. There was something bigger. Today we have the benefit that they didn't have back then. We have the New Testament. It's kind of like having these special glasses that that help us see the things we missed with our own eyes. And so when we read the Old Testament, we have the benefit of of doing so through the lens of Jesus. And that's how Jesus views the Old Testament himself. After his resurrection from the grave, Jesus is walking with his disciples. He turns around, he says to them, he goes, You foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted that to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. In other words, he said, look at all this stuff, guys, is pointing to me. And Jesus says the text like this Isaiah passage is ultimately about him. And so while it's partly about King Hezekiah, it's not fulfilled with King Hezekiah. For instance, the text said that the kingdom and peace would never end. Well, it does with Hezekiah. He died. His next son that came up, Manasseh, he was an evil little guy. And the prophecy isn't fulfilled later until Jesus' life. Fourteen times in the book of Matthew, the author says that Jesus is fulfilling something from the prophets. And that word fulfill means to take care of what's half full, to fill it up all the way to the brim. It's about completing and so what Isaiah prophesied in our text is made partially complete by King Hezekiah, but made fully complete with Jesus. And as humans, we're not at peace with God. We're born sinful and selfish. That's who we are. And so we're not born into peace with God. Romans speaks about our, ourselves being hostile towards God. It goes on and it speaks about how God is, is reconciled through us through the gospel that while we were still his enemy. And being an enemy of God is the exact opposite of having peace with God. And what's sad to me is how lightly our culture treats this. We act like it's no big deal. Like, you know, well, our sin is a big deal when you think about it. And we learn this in the scriptures that all people are eventually either children of God or enemies of God. And to be an enemy of God is actually a scary thing. And it's difficult to get our minds around how badly we need peace with God. And that's the significance of Advent. And then, and Jesus comes to bring peace. And ultimately peace between sinful men and women and children and our creator and our holy God. And what Jesus coming accomplishes for his people is real, lasting peace. We see this in Ephesians By now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh, dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility." Through the gift of faith we have peace with God. And that's really what the prophecy is in our context today. That that's the message that we eventually see clearly in Romans five. Therefore, since you have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that we need to understand. If you don't have peace with God today, this means that you can have peace with God. And we need to let the reality of that settle in because we're anxious people, aren't we? We're stressed out. We're worried about grades. We're worried about all these other things. We're anxious about faith of maybe of those that we care for. We're stressed by parenting. We're afraid of the future. And the list goes on and on. And here we have a room full of men and women and myself included. Are we at peace with God here or are we anxious? We need his peace. Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit is listed. These are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that dwell in us. And the third one is what? It's peace. And we have peace and we can grow in this area as well. And that's, that's part of this process in our walk with Jesus. So let me make a suggestion that we make an effort to pray for and pursue peace in our lives during this Advent season. Philippians tells us to bring, bring it to God, whatever's in our lives, us creating our anxiety in our hearts, bring those things to him through prayer. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is there for us. Do you see how that all connects? Our text is speaking prophetically of Jesus. It calls him the Prince of Peace. And what that means is that Jesus offers rest in a world where we feel unrest. You know, the story of the Christmas uh, Peace Treaty of 1914 is amazing, but it's temporary. It lasted just that evening. The peace that Jesus gives us with God is not temporary. It lasts for all eternity, and that's the basis of all other peace in our lives. So how do you respond to the message of Advent this Christmas. If you look at the different characters in the New Testament, Zachariah was filled with denial and doubt. Mary wasn't sure about everything, but she surrendered to the Lord's will anyway. Joseph was a person who put his, his feet to his, his faith. He was ready to act. And the shepherds, they were ready to broadcast the good news. Do You ever notice at the middle letters in the word evangelism? You know what you see there you see angel. And I think we're called to believe, we're called to broadcast the good news just like the angels did back then. We have a message to share. The shepherds communicated the Christmas story, the story of peace to all men. And we are now the messengers of the manger story, people. As believers, we have something to share. So rest in the knowledge that the God of the universe, your creator has made peace with you through the birth and the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And now you can exhale. We need to just feel the weight of this world off our shoulders and, and rejoice in the peace that has come at this advent of Jesus Christ. So is that you today? Do you need peace? Maybe you're feeling a tugging in your heart. Maybe Jesus is just calling you to surrender to him. I would encourage you just to take the time, take a moment as the band comes up and pray. Pray to ask for that peace of Christmas to come into your life. Let's just bow our heads. Father, I just pray for those who carry the weight of the world, who are anxious, who have everything going on in them, their world is spinning out of their control, and they just don't know what to do today. Lord, I just pray your peace be upon them. And if they don't know you in a personal way, may today be that day where they just surrender to you. God, we are waiting for you to come and to bring peace and sometimes we forget that you've already come, that you've already broken into our world and you've already shined a great light. You've already sent us your Holy Spirit. Remind us to be the body of Christ in this world. That we just don't wait for peace, not even just make peace or work for it, but that we may be the peace of Christ in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, at our place of work, at our school, and in our nation. And may I remind you, believers, that you are the temples of the Holy Spirit, that you are the body of Christ, that you are the hands and the feet and the heart and the voices through which God works his peace. And my prayer this Sunday is that as you go from here today, may the peace of Christ be with you all to bring light to dark places and peace to a world of unrest. And may peace be with you. And I invite you to stand with me. The past few weeks we've closed with the song, uh, The Breastplate Player of St. Patrick, but today I think it would be fitting, being Christmas Eve and all that, together we just do Silent Night. And then allow me to bless you with the words of Saint Patrick before we leave. Jesse. Silent night. Oh. his hands for a blessing, and those receiving the blessing did likewise. Soul Sanctuary, above and below you, before and behind you, and every eye that sees you, may Christ be all around you. Be blessed, and be peace, and we'll see you next week.